Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Good to see you today. Why don't you get over to Psalms 34, if you have a Bible. And we are going to finish up, if you're a guest with us, uh, we're finishing up a series called Grow, which is our version of celebrating Lent here at Damascus Road. And this is our last Sunday in that. And we're going to be doing a potluck immediately following this gathering. And so we'd love for you to hang out and uh, spend some time with us. We'll give you some free food. So uh, it's not like you're going out hiking or hanging out today, right? So you don't have any place warmer to be than here with a free warm meal. So hopefully you'll hang around. We'll put some tables out and put some food out and that'll be a good time for us. But today we're going to talk about fasting, which... um, We are going to enter into a week-long fast as a church, going up to Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. And so I really want to encourage you to be thinking about joining us in that regard, and maybe fasting is a new idea to some of you, so that's fair. We're going to spend some time talking through that, but uh, at the end, I'm going to try to give you some real practical understandings and ways that you can apply fasting. Why don't you stand with me, uh, and I'm going to read our text today, which is Psalm 34 in verse 8, just one verse, so you'll be up and down, and uh, I'll pray for us, and then we'll trust God to, uh, to lead our hearts here today. Psalm 34 and verse 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Let's pray. God, I thank You for just Your faithfulness to me and to my family. I thank You for Your faithfulness to this family at Damascus Road for just the incredible leaders, the incredible uh, servants who just uh, invest so deeply and so wonderfully and so uh, with so many gifts and so much passion. And God, we're, we're grateful to you for providing us with that. And we're also grateful to all of the people who make up this family. So I just pray blessing over Damascus Road. I pray blessing over this time as we open up your word. God, we're dependent on your spirit to lead us, to speak to us, to convict us, to encourage us, to make much of Jesus in our hearts and minds. And so we look forward to that and pray these things for your glory and for our joy in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. So I want to talk about fasting. And in order to help us understand fasting, I want to talk about what we generally consider to be the inverse of fasting. And so we're going to talk about feasting and fasting today. Feasting and fasting today. And let me just tell you a little bit about where I come from and why I think this is important. I grew up in a pretty conservative, uh, fundamentalist uh, Bible church home. And, uh, and, and we were the kind of folks who talked a lot about God is holy and sacred and, you know, uh, powerful. And, and so the expression that we oftentimes had around God was that he wanted us to be disciplined and worshipful and proper and circumspect. And you're like, I don't know what circumspect means. I didn't either. Uh, but that's what we talked about. Just a, a very measured kind of religious expression. And so fasting was a pretty natural outworking of that to withhold things from ourselves to uh, to to you know use a lot of willpower and a lot of discipline because God's worthy of that was was a part of our language. Uh, there are other communities 
that their language is less around fasting and more around feasting, that God is good and that God is faithful and that God is enjoyable and there's a lot of celebration and there's not a lot of talk about discipline and withholding and circumspection, not circumcision, circumspection, uh, but uh, lots of let's feast on God and let's feast in the goodness of God. And, And what I've noticed is that this group isn't very good at that and that group isn't very good at this. And so when we're talking about feasting and fasting, I want to make clear to you that I think biblically, if you're going to be good at fasting, you have to be good at feasting. And if you're going to be good at feasting, you have to be good at fasting. You have to understand them both. And hopefully that will make a little bit more sense to you uh, in the next 30 minutes or so. So I just want to talk about what is the aim of biblical feasting? And what's the aim of biblical fasting? And then give you just some practical ways that you can express and uh, enjoy both. So let's talk about feasting first. Um, Biblical feasting has two different uh, manifestations or results of it. The first is, is just to remind us of the goodness of God. To remind us of the goodness of God. And I want you to kind of think back to Psalms 34 verse 8, which we just read, in which the psalmist says that he wants us to taste and to see the goodness of God. And so the psalmist talks about the goodness of God in a sensory, kind of taste, touch, and in a tangible way. Uh, When I think about the goodness of God, I don't know if you're like me in this regard, I think about it in terms of an idea and maybe a theology, neither of which are very sensory. It's not something that I can kind of uh, get flavor out of. It's not something that I can necessarily lay eyes on, wrap my arms around here. And yet, when the Bible talks about the goodness of God, it's it's always tangible. It's always something that God's people experience, not something that they think. You hear that? The goodness of God is something that we experience, not something that we think. And so the practice of biblical feasting puts us in a position to be regularly reminded in a tangible, experiential way that our God, our God is good. Now feasting, whenever I say the word feast, you think of what? You think of food. But feasting is actually any number of things. I've found myself in rooms full of people, all of whom I enjoy. It's a relational feast, right? And I look around and I say, man, that person is a blessing to me and that person is a blessing to me and that person is a blessing to me. And sometimes all of those people sit down around a table and I'm at a table with a lot of people that I love and we put out a spread of food and we have a feast of conversation and we have a feast of food and we have a feast of laughter and you have a feast of place. All of these good things that remind us that God is good, that are tangible, that are sensory, that I can see and taste and hear and feel. And God says that this practice, this practice of feasting, which I would say is a little-known spiritual discipline, to be cognizant of and intentional about saying, this is an opportunity that God has given me out of His goodness to feast. I had a buddy, uh, uh, have a buddy, who um, I've literally thrown up from laughing so hard many times with. Literally. And as crass as that might sound to you, uh, I literally had a feast of laughter, a very experiential sense of laughter that the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from God. Right? And so for me to have 
a memory, for me to be conscious of, for me to be intentional about, thinking about, recording, uh, memorizing, experiencing tangible aspects of the goodness of God as something that's very sacred and holy in God's Word. And yet many of us, whether we've grown up over here like I did, or whether we're busy and distracted, many of us don't have a practice of sitting down and articulating for the health of our soul the goodness of God in our lives, do we? We think about it from time to time, often on the move, often as it's happening to us. Wow, this is cool. But we don't have a practice necessarily of ending a day, sitting down with a journal, and writing out all of the goodness of God to us in that day with the people that are around us in God's faithfulness and provision in our lives. And yet, that's a, that's a sacred and wonderful thing, this, this practice of feasting. And so, in God's word, whenever God's people fast and are reminded by his goodness, they always respond in gratitude. And that's the second aspect of feasting. And I want you to look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. It should be coming up on the screen here behind me. But in 1 Timothy, Paul, who we just spent a lot of time talking about in the book of Acts, is writing to a guy by the name of... Timothy, not a trick question. Are y'all sleepy? Steve? I don't know. What? Yeah, (laughs) Timothy. And Paul is talking to Timothy about some things that are going to happen in the last days, in the days right before Jesus comes back. And I want to be clear with you. I think that Paul thinks he's living in the last days. And so he's looking around, and he's talking about how messed up the world is around him. And look at what he says. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times... Some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from what? From food that God created to be received with what? With thanksgiving by who? Those who believe and know the truth. Paul says in the last days there will be this idea about abstaining from good things that God gives. But those who understand who God is and know what is true will receive those gifts from God uh, and and be thankful for them. Verse 4, for everything created by God is good. I said it, Wes, this is, if you smoke weed in here, this is your favorite verse in the Bible, all right? I've heard so many, (laughs) so many weed smokers. Well, listen, doesn't the Bible say for everything created by God is good? And I always say, tell me the other verse in the Bible that you know, and there never is one. So uh, let's just, <laughs> let's go from here, right? Do you know 1 Timothy 4.4? 4? Do you know 1 Timothy 4.5? Right? No, you don't. All right, moving on. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with what? With thanksgiving. In the Bible... There is a regular practice of receiving of the goodness of God and responding in gratitude toward God. Receiving of the goodness of God and responding in gratitude toward God. And listen, both are biblically sacred. The reception and the responding. For somebody who is a follower of Jesus. Paul, writing to the church at Colossae, gives us kind of three different aspects of gratitude. In Colossians 1 and verse 3 says, Always be thankful. In Colossians 2 and verse 7, he says, abound in thanksgiving. And then like he gets frustrated about it, he goes in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17. Listen, whatever you do, in word or deed, everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything that you do, understand that you are receiving and responding 
receiving and responding. Both are sacred, both are holy, both are God-given. Be conscious of them, be intentional about them, and when you understand reception and response, feasting is worship. Right? When you understand this is from God and I respond in gratitude, feasting is worship. How many of you guys grew up in a home where your folks made you pray before you had a meal? Yeah. How many of you had any idea why that was? Yeah, less hands go up. I grew up in a home where we always prayed, God, thank you for this food, and if we were hungry, we talked faster, right? God, thank you for this food, amen. Uh, and I never necessarily knew why that is, but he- here's why. Uh, I say this to my kids, you literally have never missed a meal in your entire life by God's grace. You've never missed a meal in your entire life, and I want you three times a day to acknowledge that God is faithful, to acknowledge the provision of God, to acknowledge uh, the goodness of God, and to simply say thank you. To simply say thank you. Now here's the danger, the danger of feasting. The danger of feasting is that we fall in love with what we're receiving, not with the one who's giving it. Romans chapter 1 talks about this. It talks about that uh, there are individuals who know who God is. They don't acknowledge Him as God. They don't respond in gratitude. uh, And they fall in love with the creature rather than the creator. And he uses some pretty graphic language about what happens in that that kind of person's heart. Uh, Many of us uh, fall prey to, and many of the Strong in fasting are strong in fasting because we don't want to fall prey to falling in love with our stuff. But here's how this goes. Uh, The danger of fasting is we begin to say, I love my stuff and I worked very hard to get it. So not only do I fall in love with my stuff, but I begin to trust my willpower not only to get it, but to keep it. And the danger in that is that it fails to acknowledge that it has been given to you and it fails to follow through in... Gratitude, right? Fails to follow through in gratitude. And so feasting, when biblically understood, is holy and sacred, an act of God-given biblical worship. But like anything else, we can take that for our own purposes, take that for our own pursuits, and we can begin to worship the thing rather than the giver, the gift rather than the giver. And when we stop being grateful, we start trusting who? We start trusting ourselves. We start trusting ourselves. The aim of fasting then, if compared to feasting, also has two aspects to it. Um, And let me recommend a book to you here. uh, Written by three guys. Francis Chan, David Platt, and John Piper. It's called A Hunger for God. A Hunger for God. I would highly, highly recommend that. And in that book, they talk a lot about about fasting, and, uh, and kind of my version of what they said is that, that the aim of fasting uh, is first to create longing, okay? So here's how I want you to think about this with me. Uh, the essence of fasting is to create and evaluate hunger. To create and evaluate hunger. So let me tell you how that looks. Let's say that this week you decide that you're going to um, get off of social media, or you're going to not watch TV, or you're going to stop drinking coffee, or you're going to skip some meals. You are creating, creating hunger. And for many of us, when we think about fasting, that, that's the end of it. Right? We get to the end of the week and we go, 
Okay, seven days off Facebook are up. Day eight, I'm right back to it. But that's not biblical fasting. Biblical fasting is to create hunger and to evaluate hunger. And so during the space where I, let's say I get off of Facebook, here's what's going to happen, I can promise you. I'm going to find myself standing in a line someplace and I'm going to reach into my back pocket and I'm going to pull my phone out and I'm going to begin to... And I'm going to have a desire to be entertained. I'm going to have a desire to be in the know. I'm going to have a desire to have people like my posts and comment on my posts, right? And, and the question that I have to ask myself is, is, why is this so important to me? Why, if I put a post up and I get three likes, I'm like, what? I felt like that was at least 10. But if I get 10, I feel pretty good. But if I get 100, I feel really good about my day. And if a couple of people comment on top of it, I feel semi-important. Why is it that somebody poking and posting and liking us is so important to us that every spare minute that we get, we pull out a little device to seek affirmation and community that isn't real. It isn't real. Why is it that whenever uh, I wake up in the morning, instead of finding sustenance and strength and encouragement for my day from God, I go to a pot and pour black liquid gold into a cup? And why is it that if I stopped drinking it, by Wednesday I would be asking people to punch me in the face because it would feel better than what my head was experiencing? Why is that? Why is it that if I stopped watching TV and I started craving noise and craving entertainment and craving laughter and craving... Why? Why? Fasting gives us an opportunity to create and evaluate hunger... So that we can see what our heart truly values and longs for. And so we can see where we're getting answers from. For those longings. So whenever you read through God's word, you see multiple things that God's people have connected fasting and longing to. So the first is that fasting is connected to longing for the return of Jesus. Matthew chapter 9 talks about this. That fasting is an opportunity uh, for us to long for Jesus to come back. Long for Jesus to get the glory that he deserves and desires. Long for him to renew and restore all things. To exercise longing in our hearts and souls for the king to come back and establish his kingdom. Talks about longing for God's power. In Acts chapter 13, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is about to enter his ministry. Paul is about to enter into his ministry. And what does it say? That the elders fasted and prayed and then they laid hands on Paul. What are they longing for? They're saying, God, I, I need you to step up here. I need your power. I'm dependent on your power. I'm stepping into this new venture, into this new space, into this new chapter. And I'm desperate. I'm longing I need you to be powerful on our behalf. Ezra chapter 8, 2 Samuel chapter 12, longing for God's protection. Longing for God's protection. I'm vulnerable. I'm weak. I'm I'm empty. I need God to protect me. How many things do you put into your life that protect you on any front and none of them are God? How insulated does our life become? That if I would just begin to slowly remove those things out of your life, if you were to fast from those things, it would expose that you think you're the one to keep yourself safe. That you think you're the one to establish and provide 
power, that you think your, it's your kingdom and it's your pursuits and it's your values. You see, when you start to tinker with hunger, you start to tinker with pursuits, what you find out is the kind of kingdom that you're a part of and who's the king of it. Who's the king of it? In 2 Samuel 1 and 1 Chronicles 10, we see a longing for God's comfort. In the midst of sorrow and loss, you see God's people fast. And this is where you see fast and get connected to sackcloth and ash. And what is it? It's people who are hurting, saying, I'm not going to distract myself. I'm not going to go to anyone but God to comfort me. How many of us, in the times that we're hurting the most, we do everything that we can to avoid the pain? And so we become workaholics, we become alcoholics, we become dependent on substance, we become codependent, we become lots of different dysfunctional things. Our hunger for comfort, we go someplace other than God to get it. And so this longing for comfort in which I go to God and I say, God, I'm, I am hurting I am grieving. I've experienced loss. And listen, I'm not going to go anywhere else for comfort but you. And so we fast to communicate that. In Joel chapter 2, you see fasting connected to repentance. Longing for God's forgiveness. How many of you, whenever you do something that you know, wow, you've profoundly messed up. If you're like me, I'll say I'm sorry and then I work as hard as I can to make it up. But in fasting, what do we do? We say, I'm completely dependent on you to restore and forgive. John Piper says that fasting is an offering of emptiness to God in hope. Fasting is an offering of emptiness to God and hope. And so when I'm sorrowful, I come to God empty and I say, God, comfort me. When I'm weak, I come to God weak and I say, God, give me power. When when I've failed, I come to God as a failure and I say, God, forgive me. But fasting is to put ourselves in a position to be weak, to experience loss, to be hungry, to need comfort, to need power, to align ourselves with and to establish longings that mimic the call and commands of God in the Bible. And whenever we just go about our day and we don't think about the things that we love, we don't think about the things we're hungry for, we don't think about our values, what ends up happening, guys is that we create an empire in which God is not necessary because we're never empty. And so fasting says, I'm going to take this out of my life and see how my soul responds. I'm going to take this out of my life and see how my soul responds. I'm going to take this or them or this exercise or this whatever out of my life because I want my heart to be united in devotion to Jesus. And the only way that I can evaluate that is to evaluate my hunger. The second thing that fasting does for us is uh, once you get to the place where you say, okay, these are all of my hungers. I, I, I'm hungry to be entertained. I'm hungry for affirmation. I'm hungry for status. I'm hungry for success. I'm hungry for comfort, right? Then you, you've diagnosed it, and the next step is to align ourselves, to align our appetites with God's glory and will for our lives. So Piper says this, that, Our appetites dictate our direction. I want you to think about that. Our appetites dictate our direction. If you evaluate the things that you're hungry for, if I can look at your life and say, you're hungry for this and this and this, I can predict what you're going to pursue. Right? If you need, you're desperate for affirmation, what are you going to do? 
You're going to get it wherever you can get it, right? If you're desperate for success, if you're desperate for entertainment, if you're desperate for peace, our appetites dictate our direction. And so fasting creates hunger, allows us to uh, identify our appetite and ask ourselves, by the grace of God and through His Holy Spirit, do our appetites align with the direction that God has called me to? And so think about this. In Psalms 119, David talks about his desire toward God and for God's word. I have an appetite for God. I have an appetite for for God's word. You think about the life of David. Uh, David was a guy that the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. Can I tell you something? David was not a good guy. He wasn't. We romanticize these guys. David was a killer. Literally. He was a murderer. He committed adultery and murdered the husband of the woman that he was shacking up with. This was not a good guy. So why would God say this is a man after God's own heart? Because he was a man who understood and aligned his desires with God. He was a man who understood and aligned his desires with God. And he says, I I am desperate for God and for his word. In Psalms 119, he talks about the desire for his eye, the eyes of his heart to be open. I want to see the world the way that you see it. I want to see circumstance the way that you see it. And so I'm, I'm, my desire, my appetite is for you to give me eyes to see and ears to hear. He talks about in Psalm 86, his desire that his whole heart, his whole heart would be to God. How many of you guys would say that there have been times in your life that you've had multiple and opposing desires? Right? In your heart. I want a great marriage, and I want to be right. <laughs> yeah? How's that work? I think that's called being drawn and quartered. Yeah. So David says, uh, let my heart be united before you in, in the fear of God. Unite my heart in the fear of God. Let my desire be singular, is what he's talking about. I want you to think about this. You think about all of the appetites that we have that are heading in different directions. I want independence and affirmation. I want, I want healthy relationships and a lack of conflict. Right? Like, we have all of these things that we never get with God, never get with the Holy Spirit, and create hunger so those desires and appetites can be evaluated. And so David says, God, unite all of my desires toward you. Unite all of my desires toward you. Listen, what are we we asking you to do by joining DR in fasting this week? We're asking you to put your desires on the table and by God's grace, unite them to him. Unite them to him. David says in Psalms 90, uh, the desire for my heart to be satisfied with God. Isn't that really entirely what it boils down to? That that all of these things that I pursue, whether it be on Facebook for affirmation, whether it be in front of the tube for entertainment, whether, uh, I mean, all of these things that I pursue for strength, uh, encouragement, affirmation, success, for status, all of them are are, uh, sad, pitiful mimics of who God is, but I don't believe it. Who can affirm me better than God? And yet I go to Facebook. Who can give me strength better than God? And yet I go to Starbucks. 
Who can, who can encourage me better than God? Who can, who can build me up better than, and yet I don't believe it. And so John Piper says this, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And in order for us to be most satisfied, our desires have to be aligned and singularly toward him. Ephesians chapter 3, the desire for strength and endurance to be found in God. In Colossians chapter 1, the desire for visible good deeds and works of love. These are desires that are biblical, desires that are God-glorifying, desires that, listen, you have to sit down with God in quiet and say, God, what are the things that I'm truly hungry for? And fasting gives us the opportunity to do that. And what's the danger of fasting? What's the danger of fasting? Uh, The danger of feasting is to make too much of the gift. The danger of fasting is to make what? Too little. Yeah. Remember I started by saying the tradition that I grew up was he who withholds the most from himself, God is the most happy with. And so I diminish gratitude because I uh, dismiss Responding to the grace of God. And so the danger of feasting is to make much of the gift and less of the giver. The danger of fasting is to diminish the gift at the expense of the grace of God. And just as we tend to focus on our willpower, I got this on my own and I'll keep it on my own. What's the danger in fasting? To focus on my willpower. Right? I'm going to white knuckle these next seven days. I'm, I'm going I'm to squeeze my way through no Facebook, no coffee, no food, no TV. I'm going to be unhappy for the glory of God. Ah! Oh, thank God it's Sunday. I'm so happy I'm not fasting. Right? How many of you, that's your experience with fasting? You just grin and bear it and you, you feel like in your pain, God is most happy. And so what do we depend on? We depend on our willpower. So we remove all the apps from our phone, right? We, we block it on our, we, we throw our TV away. We tear all the food out of our cabinets, right? And we go, are you happy now, God? No, no, I'm not, says God. The point of fasting is not to diminish gifts and accentuate willpower. The point of fasting is to say, what am I hungry for? God, am I hungry for you? Am I satisfied in you? And so I'm going to put myself in a position to be hungry, to be weak, to be needy. And I'm going to evaluate that. I'm going to pray on that. And I'm going to lean hard into the Spirit of God to expose my worship so that it might be singularly to my Savior. So that it might be singularly to my Savior. So here's how, what I'd like you to do. Uh, this week, as a church, we're going we're gonna to fast. And so what I'd like you to do is I would like you to just, just pick something that you're going to take out of your regular rhythms. Um, and I would, if you've never fasted before, please don't say, I'm not going to eat or drink till next Sunday, okay? Like, God will not be impressed, okay? Uh, just say, man, I'm, I watch a lot of TV, and so for seven days, I'm not going to. Or I, I'm always on social media, and so for seven days, I'm not going to. Maybe take uh, lunch out three days. I mean, 
You get with God and you decide today what you're going to fast from. And here's the thing. If you wait until Tuesday, you're going to go, ah, whatever. Right? So decide today what you're going to fast from. Fasting, if it is to create and evaluate hunger, isn't just to stop. It's to replace. And so don't not watch TV and instead do something else to waste time, okay? Uh, Have a plan for how you are going to spend time with God during the time that you would have otherwise been on social media, eating, drinking coffee, whatever. And so what I would encourage you to do is I would encourage you to get a notebook or to put the app on your phone or whatever in which during the time that you would have been eating, you pray and you just jot down what you hear from God. And you just... He, you, God, we, what do we say the first week? We serve a God who is speaking, and so we read our Bible and we pray. And so, you just putting yourself in a posture and a position to hear from God, to evaluate appetite and hunger and worship, and to jot down what God is saying to you. This coming Sunday, we're going to get together at a hotel room, and we're going to rip the roof off that sucker. All right? We are going to baptize people. We are going to celebrate Jesus. We are going to make much of Jesus. It's going to be awesome, even if the weather is as crappy as it is today. Okay? We're going to baptize people out there in the freezing cold because we are from Wisconsin. All right? So, <laughs> so uh, what I want you to do is I want you to, to fast and prepare and evaluate uh, this week. And then I want you next week to plan to feast. And I think this is an important thing. Uh, to pair fasting and feasting together. And so this week we're going to fast. Next week, coming out of the, the glow of resurrection, I, I want you to, to feast. I want you to uh, go to the movie you've been longing to see. Prepare the meal that is your favorite. Get with someone that you love to spend time with and say, hey, let's do coffee this week. And what I want you to do is I want you to take that same fasting notebook to your feasting week. I don't want you to just go, oh, this is much better. All right. I want you to, to receive from God so you can respond in gratitude. And so go get coffee with Chris. And then when you get done with Chris, get in your car, pull out your notebook. Maybe not Chris, but I would go with Chris. All right. Why are you hating on Chris? Chris is a good guy. Come on. Yeah. Get in your car, pull out that notebook and just jot down God's goodness to you. In relationship, come out of that movie and jot down God's good. Come out of that meal. Just be intentional about saying God is good and faithful to me and respond in the next Sunday in gratitude, right? We come in here uh, f- next week prepared to celebrate resurrection and the following week prepared to respond in gratitude by praising and giving and all of the wonderful opportunities that we have. So will you do that for me? Awesome. This week we're going to fast uh, after we feast at the potluck here today, all right? Uh, and, uh, you know, you don't have to fast from watching the Badgers, all right? So don't, don't freak out about that. Uh, we're going we're gonna to feast here today, and then this week we're going to fast, we're going to hear from God, and then we're going to feast after Easter and just bask in the goodness of our Savior, okay? All right, stand with me. A couple ways that you can respond here today. Um, we take communion every day here at Damascus, or every week here at Damascus Road. Um, and, and why do we do that? To remind ourselves that our God is good, that He offered His Son on the cross. And so we take communion, and then what do we do? We respond in gratitude. We sing together. We uh, pray together. Uh, we we give. We 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 respond in in thanks to God. And so if you're in here today and you want someone to 
pray with you or pray for you to my left, to your right. But come up and join us in observing Lord's Supper. And then please stick around, sing with us, and then we'll share a great meal uh, immediately following. Let's pray. God, I thank you for uh, your goodness, your powerful goodness in our lives. God, forgive us that we, uh, we get busy, we get distracted, we, we, we get hungry for so many different things. Our appetite is insatiable and we fail to see the ways that you've been good, the ways you've provided, the ways that you've led us. And so God, as we go into this week of fasting, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear what our appetites are truly for? And by your grace, God, would you bring us to a place where those appetites are aligned with who you are and what you've done so you can be most glorified in our lives. And God, as we go into Easter, we're excited to celebrate the resurrection of your son, your victory over sin and death. So God, would you prepare our hearts for that? Would you create space for us to think about and pray for inviting somebody to that gathering? And then God, we're going to look forward in the next week to just basking in your goodness, feasting. But just help us, God, to receive this Uh, through your Holy Spirit, to be intentional about hearing from you because you're a God who speaks and we want to hear.